Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners to Navigate with I.D. This is your business school on radio. As you will recall, we started this journey looking at personal and professional transitions that can make or my leader. And I did say to you that this comes off the heels of a very interesting um, piece of literature put together by David Dolage, uh, James Noel, and Norman Welker, which I had the privilege you know, to go through many years ago. Now, everything in it speaks to what you and I go through daily as business people or even would-be businessmen, entrepreneurs, or leaders as well. So today, and indeed this particular section of the entire piece, I'd like to step into a place that most of us do not even consider in business, and that is moving in to a leadership role. Now, very many people don't understand that it's a challenge for first-time leaders. And then sometimes companies don't even know how to help first-time leaders. Now, there is a normal struggle you must go through. So as part of your professional transition from one level to the other, there's also the personal transition, which, of course, comes with your head and your mind and your heart. Now, many people typically are moved into a leadership role, not because they are totally the most qualified, but because they cut some boxes and they're doing great. While some other people are high performers, they're delivering on productivity, but then some other elements come to play. And so as we look at this particular theme within the theme, moving into a leadership role, I'd want you to just fasten your seatbelt and let's go together. Let's look through this critical part of the transition and ask ourselves some very salient questions. Now, first and foremost, moving into a leadership role from a personal standpoint is nothing new. Let me start by saying that each and every one of us, especially those who are either the first in the family, whether male, female, and like we say in Nigerian parlance, the firstborn syndrome. If you are a firstborn in your family and you have younger ones that are following you, or even if it's just one person, you know you are already the leader. How do you know? Your parents will abrogate certain things to you and they'll ask you certain questions and send you on certain errands. And so you find your parents saying to you, hey, ID, you have to take care of your brother, you have to take care of your sister. Now, you may just be some light years apart. Whatever it is, as long as you came out of the womb first, you are moving straight into a leadership role. So there's nothing like, I have never been a leader, except, of course, you are the last wagon in the train. Meaning, again, in Nigerian parlance, we talk about the last-born syndrome. When you are a last-born, you are doted upon, you are pampered, and everybody tends to look at you and they want to take care of 
small brother or small sister. However, as you grow, then you'll be then the chief messenger of the house. And I know at that stage, everybody tends to send you on an errand. That's a separate item entirely. But I just want you to understand that when we are looking at personal transitions that could make or my leader, very many of us start by saying, I have never been in a leadership role. But that's not true. Especially if you are the first in your family, somewhere along the line, your parents, the entire clan, the entire tribe, your family would have bequeathed certain responsibilities to you. And those responsibilities, in no little way, would have started plugging you to understand that you are stepping into a leadership role. And as you grow, things tend to happen. Responsibility comes upon you. Then you find yourself going to school. And as you get through the classes, primary, secondary, you'll find that in some cases, there are some opportunities that will come. You'll be thrust into a leadership role, either as a class monitor, a class leader, a class prefect, a school prefect, uh, whatever form or shape, and you are beginning to step in. And so there's really nothing about it being strange. But when you get into a professional setting, the game starts to change slightly. But a lot of us bequeath this sense that I'm just starting. I've never been a leader. But you forget that your personal transitions, one way or the other, had prepared you for this top position. But let's step into the corporate arena and see how sometimes moving into a leadership role, that transition itself can make or mar you as a leader. First of all, what qualifies you to be a leader within the professional circuit? You have to be a performer. That is, that they're seeing that productivity is the order of the day. So you're going to start your career as a junior manager, a junior staff, then you need to grow through the ranks. Growing means that there are people set in authority that will superintend over the work that you do. And as the time goes by, time, occasion, moments continue to tick, you spend some good quality time in each facet. And as you get into a certain bracket, you would have started exhibiting certain traits. And at that stage, there will be room for you to be promoted. Now, in some other areas, promotions are done by virtue of the number of years or time spent. So in some clients, whether in the public service, as you find, you would have done a certain number of years that will qualify you to be able to step in for consideration for the next level. Now, where it gets a bit tricky in such settings is that people are fixated in, I've spent in one day three, three years, so I have to go for, I'm due for a promotion. And then the system, that is the environment in which you work, the company, the organization, the business, especially in public service, would have what they call promotional examinations because it's a mammoth crowd. There are so many people on that grade. And so they need to take some into a special next grade. What do they do? They set an examination. 
Within that examination, you then go for interviews. They shortlist those that performed well. So the top performers are then promoted into managerial roles and they become responsible for other people for the first time. They experience two transitions simultaneously. Not only do they have to make the shift from being individual contributors to manager, but they must segue from follower or individual contributor to leader. Let me use myself as an example. In 1991, I joined Guinness Nigeria PLC as a management trainee. I was 24 years old. And at that time, we were all about 11 in my set. And then there were other guys that have been taken in uh, in production, manufacturing, and what we call technical in those days. So this was marketing, essentially sales, and also brand management. Now, so we got in as 11 young men that got in as trainees. Now, there wasn't anything about number of years you spend before you get promoted. But I'll tell you, in 91, we all spread out. And then some restructure happened. When the restructuring happened company-wide, by 1992, a lot of the grades that we joined, we used to have M from M3 to M12. M12 then were heads of departments, and of course, the directors were on a special grade. So we joined at the M4 level. So that's where we are. Now think about this. Because of the restructure at that time in 1992, there was a band up. So they collapsed certain bands. So M4 to M6 became M3. Now M, M7, M8 became M2. And then, M, then management grade 9 to 12, they became M1. And then we then had Senior Management 1, which was for M12, and Senior Management 2, SM2, SM1. So all of a sudden, about 12 bands were collapsed into what you would call maybe about four bands. So you had M3, and then you had the assistant managers, M3, M2, M1, SM2, SM1, and of course, you had the board, you had the directors. So... Just truly, I was moved from my band of M4. I found myself in the M2 Kida. And it was a rare privilege because at that point in time, most of my colleagues who were all, we all joined together, remained at M3 and I was the only one thrust into M2 by reason of that restructure. What am I saying? Restructuring can also bring certain things to happen that will shift of bringing promotion into roles that people were not, you know, um, envisaging. That is really more systemic, and that is something that would happen within the bands of the business. So you cannot even predict how you will be moved into a leadership role because whether you like it or not, you don't own the business. The business is not yours. The business could decide that we need to go through a whole rejuvenation a whole review of our structure, of their entire operations, and it will impact some, and then some in the process will also have the, you know, they'll have the shift. That is what happened to me in my own space. But one thing I must tell you that moving into a leadership role like that, what it meant was that you would have been sized, resized, checked, that you had the qualities and skills. So here I was, 
moving into a band where I had my seniors in the company. I started attending what they call the management conferences at that time. I remember we used to have them at the uh, Gateway Hotels in um, Ogun State then, in Abelkota, and they had in Ijebode. It was a privilege for me to go sit with the seniors and then go on those management conferences. They were held annually. And what happened? It was just that restructure that found me in a leadership role. But I was market research manager. M2 grade, I was reporting straight to the marketing director. And at that stage in my life and my career, as a young man, I just knew that certain things had to happen. So there were personal transitions happening. At the same time, I was having my own professional transition into leadership. Now, friends, this is all about the leadership passage. Now, like all passages, this particular one can be very challenging because, you know, there are new skills, there are values that must be learned, and old habits must be discarded. So when you are a top performer and you are promoted into a managerial role, then you will then realize that, come on, I need to be wearing a different hat. And if that is the first time that you are stepping into that type of role where you will be supervising people or material resources and all of that, then it's a major place where you need to discard some old habits. If you don't, you will be for it. Now, I would like you to understand that in this passage, yes, I said it can be very challenging. There is one danger. And that danger is the fact that learning only part of what you need to know as a leader, if you just take this part is what I need, that is a huge danger that is waiting. Now, you may acquire the critical managerial competency of delegating, for instance, but you may then fail to develop a leadership vision. So you are stepping into a role for the first time coming as an individual contributor to being someone that will be managing people. That is, you have one or two or three people working under you. Now, you can get carried away with this whole thing that, oh, I have somebody to send on errands. I have somebody to, to help me do this job. Now, you can be consumed in that because you are running what you call a critical management competence of delegation or delegating. But then you don't begin to see yourself as the leader that needs to envision. If you lose the power of vision and seeing what others don't see or beginning to craft what your function, your department, your section, whatever it is that you are doing, you must begin to develop a leadership vision. You may also struggle to reconcile the managerial imperative of getting things done. Why? Because now you have people that are sitting all around you and you are the boss. You are now the mini boss. You have two, three people reporting to you. And um, when your line manager gives anything that needs to be done, you pass it down very quickly and call the guys to go sort it out. Now, the managerial imperative of getting things done can also be a struggle. How and why? 
if you're the type that has come from being an individual contributor, what do I mean? You have been the only one working in your department. You didn't have anybody supporting you. Um, or you are the last man standing or a single contributor. And all of a sudden, you are being entrusted with people, resources to manage. Getting things done may be a challenge. Delegating may be a challenge because you're used to doing things yourself. Having to let go can become a challenge. That's a passage that many people fail to cross. In another regard, there are some very um, fundamentally lazy traits that some have. Everything they get, they delegate. You can over-delegate to, to your own peril because you feel that you are now a supervisor and the job of a supervisor is to supervise people. And now you lose the fabric and the imperative of getting things on. And that in itself is a major leadership mandate. It's a major leadership mandate, not just for you, but also for the people that you are developing. So striking that balance is very tough, friends. And many people don't realize it. But then, let's backtrack to the personal transition. Just the same way that you are the big brother or big sister. Remember, when the journey started as the firstborn, you were the only one around. Then all of a sudden, you now had younger siblings. And then responsibilities begin to shift. So one time, aunties, uncles, you were the only one being doted on, pampered. Everybody said, oh, this is my nephew, that's my niece. Everybody gave you all the attention, and all of a sudden, one, two, three other siblings come around. Um, they don't neglect you, but they begin to spread the love to other people. Now, as that love is being spread, you will then find that as the firstborn, you are now given the mandate to take care of these younger ones. So there are chores your father will ask you to do, will not ask your junior one to do. Now, it then behoves on you that they will ask you to do a certain thing. You can then delegate it and tell your younger one to do it. Now, if he or she is one of the stubborn ones, like my younger brother, I don't. When I'll tell him, go and sweep the room, he'll tell me, he'll tell me, no, I can't sweep because, you know, I don't like dust. By the time I get him into a corner, and rush him with some blues, you go and do it. Now, we do that in a personal mode, personal transition. Fast forward to the professional transition. They now give you, you have three people that are with you. Now you ask one of them to go do a thing, and he says, sir, but that's them, so so and so's job. He said, my friend, will you go and do it? I'm the boss here. So you can see there's a parallel. There's a parallel between our personal transitions and our professional transitions that can make or mar our leadership. But we don't see it. Now, we don't connect the dots. And the beauty I have is I'm trying to let you see that within the context of leadership passages, every one of us are currently living out an experience. We are living the experience of life. And it does come through because there isn't a permanent moment. Every single moment has a build on the past that breaks it the present. And then that present is what enables the future, which is the next stage. So 
you and I are consistently moving into our futures, but we always neglect the experience that we had in the past. We only draw on the past because we want to make inference to a thing, but we do not experientially take our minds into the journey that started from the past that may have equipped us or put us on a certain pedestal. Now, I'm going to cross-pollinate these thoughts. Think about this. No two people, especially when they become husband and wife, they get married, they don't typically would have similar backgrounds. So imagine one person, that is the man, coming from a background that he was the last born, and he probably had only sisters ahead of him. And there is another man who was the firstborn and he had to command the troops, meaning the younger ones, both male and female. So both of them now get married. What do you think will happen to their spouses, that is the wives? One hand, there is a particular setting where the man on this side was always pampered by the sisters. In fact, even at the stage of getting married, if care is not taken, the sisters will run the house. So what then happens to that man? Does he grow well as a leader to get things done? He may not because his upbringing was that of being pampered. His big sisters will not want him to lift a finger. Oh, my brother. Oh, my younger brother. Oh, my brother. They buy him clothes. They buy him stuff. So he's used to people being taken care of. And now he then gets married to a woman who... He expects to do the same thing. He goes straight into that mode and is waiting to be doted and pampered. And all of a sudden, that other wife is dutiful and that one has, maybe she's a career, a career woman. Does not have all the time in the world to start doting on you and problem. The problem starts there. Oh, you don't respect me. Now let's go to the other side. Meanwhile, you come to this other side, the man, being a firstborn, quote-unquote, as we term it in Nigeria, would have had younger ones, both male and female. And then he gets married to, the, to a woman who has come from a background, possibly where she was only surrounded by boys. Of course, like we used to say, that would, would be a tomboy. You know, go agree. You know, she's the type that will wear, she'll wear her boxers and join, join you in any competition, want to clear the compound, she want, you guys are playing soccer with the boys. She will come and say, I'll go follow play. Now, contrast those two. You'll find that those two homes will not be the same, simply because of the upbringing. So I'm saying this to every one of us, that today you are sitting on a particular seat, or you are sitting in a particular spectrum, or what we call a leadership role. The minute you are about to make a transition to another level, the tendency to forget the experience of the now and the past is always there because you get carried away by the euphoria of the new environment, a new job, the new perks of office. So I know how it sounds and how it feels when you are moving from that junior manager grade to middle manager. I give you my own example where I was a junior manager and then I was by reason of providence and faith smiling on me and good work, you know, and the band being promoted into, call it three or four bands from my previous level. And then sitting with the big boys, that is my seniors. I know how it felt 
psychologically. But then on the other side, in terms of having to report directly to the marketing director was a different kettle of fish. Because at that stage in my life and in my career, I was too young to be sitting with my seniors reporting to the marketing director. But that was Providence smiling at me. But it became more or less a way and manner that helped me on my leadership journey. And so when I moved to a place like Coca-Cola and now getting into Coke where I had to be an individual contributor, strategist, and also work with the team, it was easier for me to run and take on the responsibilities that I had because the franchise system is a different business model from what I experienced in my time in Guinness. And so every inch of my career down at Coca-Cola was very different, but you couldn't take away the Guinness experience. That is the humble beginnings. So what am I saying, friends? I'm saying to you that when you are going through the struggle of reconciling the managerial imperative of getting things done and the leadership mandate of developing people, don't think you are alone. Just cast your minds back to how you've transited in your personal life and how you've transited in your professional life. You realize that the same way you had done it before, you are being prepared for greater times ahead. Well, friends, we are just at the mark of um, the first half runoff. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And when we do, we'll continue on this beautiful topic on how to move into a leadership role from a mindset frame. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, dear friends. It's still Navigate with ID, your business school on radio. And just in case you're joining us, I bid you welcome. Friends, we're looking at a very simple uh, direction where a lot of us tend to uh, walk through this simple uh, mode. Now, we are considering the personal and professional transitions that make or break a leader. And then in going through that particular maze, we are specifically looking at the topic moving into a leadership role. And um, yeah, it's been quite interesting. The first half was where we had to situate the personal space, the professional space, and each of the transitions that have happened. You know, many of us could sit back and say, it's my first time leading people. And I'll say to you, maybe not. Think about the firstborn family line and how you've been asked to take care of the younger ones and the kind of duties and responsibilities you had growing up. So you were not just thrust into a leadership role on a professional lens for the first time. You started acting the part. And then stepping into the professional terrain where the performers are promoted. So you are a top performer. You are promoted into managerial roles. And then you become responsible for other people for the first time. And then that brings in this simultaneous what I'll call transition. Now, not only do you have to make the shift from being an individual contributor to manager, but you must then also segue from being a follower to a leader. That can be very serious. Someone who was following one, all of a sudden now becoming a leader. Like every passage in this dimension, there is always a challenge. And why is this one particularly challenging? 
It's challenging because new skills, the values you must be able to learn, relearn, unlearn, and more importantly, discard some old habits. If you are getting away with certain things before, you can't do it again. Once you've transited, and then there is some hidden danger. The hidden danger here is learning only the part of what you need to know as a leader. So if this is the only thing that has been thrust around you in your head, and you say, that's where I'm going to keep my focus, that may be a huge danger. It's like hugging a transformer because you won't stay long there, friends. Everything will bust right in your face. So what you would then be required to do is to balance the act. What is that? It's a critical aspect of managerial competence that comes from delegating on one hand and then also developing a leadership vision on the other. Because when you look at the principle of delegating and you look what visioning comes with, it means that at the end, the reconciliation happens in execution. That is getting things done. As a matter of fact, that in itself is what creates the room for you to be seen, heard, recognized, and then prepared for the next promotion. So if you're a leader, you've been entrusted into a particular role where you now have to manage people, then you're given the responsibility to understand the balance between delegating um, and thrusting a vision or developing a vision, which I call, I use the word envision a lot more, of course, within your own spectrum, you need to envision how you're going to take that particular space or function to the next level with your team riding solidly behind you. But the system will only recognize you when you are delivering. For you to deliver, it means that you are getting things done and your team and your good self will be considered in a good stead of executing. So execution is a major piece that guarantees shifts, movement, promotions, um, visibility as you become prepared for the next level, not just in your company, your competitors, players in the industry, the whole world will be watching. And so one of the things I've learned in teaching and coaching senior executive, let me say meet to senior executives. One of the things that I have learned the most is that new leaders tend to emphasize those aspects of the role predicted by their personality. And so that is why when I sit within the ambits of coaching, I always start from letting people see through. As a matter of fact, my company, Corporate Shepherds, we have a bespoke 3D model. And that is what I utilize for individuals, businesses, or teams, I beg your pardon, in building capacity. So if you are a company and you need us as in corporate shepherds to take your leadership team through a process of uh, conversations around leadership or leadership development, the first D in our spectrum of the 3D is discovery. That discovery is the self-discovery, very critical. 
So we have the three Ds. We have the discovery, we have the development, and then we have the deployment. This 3D approach is how we create a bespoke model. Regardless of who, what, where, and the type of business, once I am called upon to teach and to coach medium or middle to senior executives, especially senior executives at the stage of line managers, at the stage of supervisors, at the stage of C-suite, and even board. I've had the privilege, very senior as a organizations and big ticket multinationals where I have to sit with the entire board of directors to walk them through the process. What I tend to emphasize is the fact that most of them that are coming in afresh mostly emphasize aspects of the role predicted by their personality. But it's not so much about personality. And I, and I tend to look at this because of the fact that in the insights discovery model that I use, when you are going to get your, pers your personal profile, it takes you to the place of preferences. So I make people understand that it's not about your personality. You know, I know all of those sanguine stuff. Just hold it for one moment. But I want you to understand that as an individual, you have preferences. Your preference is what leads you into a certain behavior. And by default, people can actually box you and say you belong here. But the truth is, why I like the insights discovery model is that there are four color energies, there, and those energies are what define the unique you. So because there's a fiery red, cool blue, earth green, or sunshine yellow, these are the four colors that people call red, yellow, green, and blue. You are in that unique space across all four colors. And each of these colors exude energies. That's why with insights, there are specific energies that come with red, for instance, is termed fiery red. Blue, for instance, is termed cool blue. Yellow, for instance, is seen as sunshine yellow, and green is called earth green. So these four color energies describe the unique you. They are preferences that you find yourself being able to go through the motions and understanding this gives you a very clear understanding of who you are from a discovery perspective. But then when you go through some other assessment tools, they tend to talk about personalities. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, but the reality is that when someone begins to tell you, oh God, this is your personality, yes, it is, but it's a behavioral trait that is coming up as a result of certain energies that are hidden. Those energies are in two spaces. You have the personal, the conscious you, and then there's the unconscious you. What is the conscious you? That is the personnel you want everybody to note and to see. Whereas there's an unconscious part of you. Both unconscious and conscious make up the unique you in that regard. So let me use a typical example to highlight this. Would you, as a professional, I'm sure you have your LinkedIn as an example. Now, would you take a selfie or would you take accept someone to post on your display picture on your LinkedIn page where you are sitting with your friends and hearing some suya? Would you? 
The answer is a capital no. Now, would you allow someone post that on your LinkedIn page? The answer is a capital no. Because you want to present yourself in that platform, that forum, your conscious personnel is very much a lot that I want people to see me this way. It's the preference that is driven by certain things. But don't tell me that the man that is dragging me as we are tearing the pomo is a different person. That's you. At that stage, when you are tearing that pomo with your friends, it's your, is it the real you or is not the you? It is you. You are the one. But if I were to take that particular picture that you denied access to LinkedIn and I drop it on Facebook or Instagram, for instance, oh, you wouldn't have a problem. Why? Because that is a different platform that shows the other side of you. The unconscious you is just showing that, hey, this guy can have fun. This guy can rally with friends, etc., etc. What am I saying? When I'm teaching and coaching executives, one of the things that I've learned is that most new leaders tend to emphasize those aspects of the role predicted. That's the underlying word. Predicted by their personality. But there's something you must understand that detail-oriented people tend to focus on execution. But big thinkers gravitate towards vision. So there's a bucket that says there is a thinker and there is a feeler. The feeler here, I'm talking about F-E-E-L-E-R. At the base of every thinker is, is just like talking about thinking and feeling. And then it's the same way you can draw that quadrant and make one speak to extraversion and the other one speaking to intraversion. We are playing into the field of psychology, big time. But many don't understand that in struggling with the reconciliation of the managerial imperative of getting things done when you are in a leadership role sits between your ability to delegate and your ability to develop a vision, a leadership vision that allows everybody go in a great direction. Now. You may not realize this, but moving into a management role is also a tricky passage. Why? Because jumping from an individual to a team or group perspective requires a huge step of faith or a leap of faith, if I could use that word. Why? If for the first time in your career, you are leaving a certain band, and if you are maybe a middle-level manager, you want to, you are now being promoted into the upper band of what we call senior managers. You are being asked to get work done through others rather than doing things yourself. My dear, some people find this shift tremendously disconcerting. That's why you need a coach. You see, I have had the privilege, and I dare say a rare one for that matter, having to coach. So many people, and still do, and um, and by the way, it's not free. So don't call me and say, Mister ID, you said on radio that you coach people free. I do things pro bono, yes, but this one is not pro bono anything. Huh? This is serious business. If you want to get to grow and understand where to fish, where the fishes are, you need a coach. 
and that transition. So if you are listening to me and you are having this challenge, you've just been promoted into a band where you now have to get things done through people, time has come for you to get a coach and a good executive coach. Otherwise, you will sink. You will sink because the people are going to use you. And when they use you, the system will abuse you. And once you are abused, you will lose your confidence. And once you lose your confidence, it will be very difficult. It will take you 10 times more effort to get your mind reset that you can do all things. You can do anything. So as I say to you that that shift or movement into a management cadre is a very tricky passage. Very many people don't handle it well. Because all of a sudden, you are now going to sit with other collaborators and you guys are going to do what? Sit with the top hierarchy and you'll begin to see all manner of games being played. Office politics does not start outside of the fence. It starts within, even within your peers, because everybody's eyeing this particular sport, the number one sport. So if you are all going to shift and potentially one of you will become managing director, of course, the business enjoys the fact that they are watching everybody and people are picking up views, what you represent and what you don't represent. So you can find that very disconcerting. This is exactly what happens to some star athletes when they retire to become coaches. But let me even speak to the fact that you know, before you retire to become a coach, let's take our golden girl, Toby. She had just won the race of her life and then got up there. She became the woman everybody needed to beat. Then all of a sudden, something comes like a smear. Oh, you missed a step in the process. And by so doing, they feel that she had an undue advantage and all kinds of things started happening. And at the moment, at that moment, the time had come for another competition and she was not even sure she would be listed until the very last moment. What do you think would happen to her psychologically? It is just the same way that you are at the peak of your career and something just comes like a smell or a little smear. Or let me even make this more vivid. Get a bottle of water, a glass, a glass of water better. And please just get your ink and take a drop of the ink and drop it into that water. You'll find that glass of water will suddenly become blue. Just a drop. That is how much a smear campaign can break you when you get into a certain level. But you need to bounce back. Now, to a Toby, she was very disconcerted to the extent that our own Golden Girl at a certain meet this year took on the fourth position. And it took everything. I imagined what would have been happening behind the scenes. But what I said to a lot of people proud to that race, the finals, I said, for this lady to go into this meet, I hope our coaches, I hope uh, the psychologists have worked on her very well because it is not easy for you to go 
against the tide when people think you are a suspect and you want to go on it at it again. The first battle is the battle of the mind. And if she is not careful, she will not even make the top three. And I predicted it and it happened. But I then said, so what this is going to do for her is going to pummel her to come back. So the next meet that she has must be, they must work on her. She must rediscover herself. She must deploy everything in her, every arsenal in her and fabric in her to say she's a winner, she's a champion, and she's coming back. And boom, she did it. Now, she's at that place where she has recovered, but not totally. This is also what happens in the corporate setting. Moving into management can be a tricky passage. The minute you get in there and you make one mistake, the whole world and its mother is looking at you. And everybody begins to doubt, could this guy or this lady, does she deserve this promotion? Could, did we make a mistake? Did we make a wrong call? And all that happened was your inability to recognize that stage and that place. This is where, again, I emphasize that companies should help their senior execs or their executives get coaches. It is not enough to have an internal coach. You need a professional coach. Sometime this week, I'm going to have that privilege to sit with one or two clients of mine, and we are going to a discreet um, place to sit down and look through their entire personal, professional track. When I mean the two tracks are running and they really want to sit down, have that moment to say, how am I going to get my life together? How can I get the business back on track? I think I'm not doing right. There's certain things that are happening. It's just the same way that you go see a doctor. Now you can see a general practitioner and the general practitioner has to refer you to a psychologist or to a therapist. Now that also happens in coaching. There's a space where a coach gets to and says, mm, my friend, I think what you need more is a therapist and I am not one. But if it has to do with these aspects on coaching, because in coaching, you actually are the person to discover yourself. My job is to walk you through an active inquisition that you will then bring out the results, the solutions yourself because they are locked in inside that vessel called you. That's my job as a coach. My job as a mentor is very different. It's to show you the track. You know, it's very easy to define both. Now. A mentor is the only one that will carry. If you you have um, if you have um, if you have ever been to a poultry, just if you haven't, go to the neighborhood. But be careful if you are if you go to your village, just go and buy some maize and put them in your hand, and then walk around. Make this happen in your compound. Don't go outside to try this for they beat you and they say you the thief foul. So within your own habitat, there, take some corn and just drop it on the ground. You'll find the the hand, follow you. Now, that track that you will establish is the track that the coach does because, uh, sorry, a mentor. They've been on that track before. They know how it is. They know the hills. They know the corners. They know the valleys. They know how they've gone through. And so the person is going to tell you, follow me as I follow Christ or follow me on this journey. I know the route. This is what will happen. But it's very different from someone that has to help you on earth and discover who you are. Many people including star athletes who retire to become coaches 
and can't understand why their players don't think and play the way they did. I mean, I'm a great fan of the Super Eagles, but lately, I'm just wondering what's going on. And fundamentally, I believe that those guys need to have their heads and minds retuned. Because the last time we were going to go to the World Cup and the way we played against Ghana, man, we were so casual that we became casualties. These were not the same Eagles that I, in all my life, have always supported. Gone with them to different tournaments and had the privilege to work at close call from the 94 set, 98 and 2002 in Japan, Korea, etc. I can tell you. But the spirit and the fire you find is not there. There's some lackadaisic big boys approach to football that I'm imagining now that the likes of JJ and um, Kanuwanko, who are star footballers who have retired to become coaches, will sit down sometimes and equeba, and they can't understand why the players don't think and play the way they did. Why? It's, it's true. And it's because of that shift. Many of them have not, that transition of playing for their club is a different thing to play for club and to play for country. It's a different thing, but people don't understand. They think it's the same. If it's the same, Messi should have been clicking from day one. And so when you find a guy like Ronaldo being able to switch, playing for his country and also playing for any of his clubs and still hitting and being the star, it takes a lot. It's a passage in leadership, a passage in self-leadership, friends. It's the same way you and I go through those moments in our careers. It's the same way you go through those moments as a father, as a mother, parenting. You are a man. You are a woman. And all of a sudden, you become, you change your status from a single man to a married man. You become a parent. It's the same way you're moving into management. It's a tricky passage, friends. The same way. Friends, we have a lot to talk about. Because these transitions can make or mark your leadership. And I'm so glad that we're having this. If you have any challenges or questions, please send a mail to contact at navigatewithid.com. You may also follow me across my social media platforms, simply at I-D-Y-E-N-E-N-G. Let's talk. Let's get this done with. And before you know it, you will also be one of those that will be considered as a top performer. Don't miss this opportunity. We'll be right back in the next episode, friends. Wish you all the very best. Can't stop loving you. Goodbye. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.